You're listening to the What Is It Show. Life, Life reality, reality, and redemption. redemption. Here's your host, Shane Haleko. This podcast is meant for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. The story you are about to listen to is a true story, based on events over the last few years. This podcast is being narrated by Frank Perez. Episode 6 February 20th, 2013 Sean had his open-heart surgery at Boston Children's Hospital. The procedure was a success, but there was a complication. While he was on bypass support, Sean lost some permanent hearing in both ears. His recovery went well, and he was discharged back to the Cardinal Cushing Center in March of 2013. As the month went on, everything seemed to be back to normal. Sean continued to come home for overnights, and we dealt with him by setting very little limits. The rides taking him back to Cardinal Cushing Centers on Monday morning started to become extremely stressful. I would take him back myself as my wife would get our other two children off to school or some sort of activity. I needed to continuously redirect Sean about his behaviors. It was such a damn long ride. And many times we would be stuck in traffic which made it even longer. The residential that we supported was Amigo, which was only about a 10 to 15 minute ride, all back roads, so no heavy traffic or lights. Due to the fact that the Cardinal Cushion Center was far from home and it did not provide transportation for our son, the safety of transporting Sean back and forth to Hanover, Massachusetts became a major concern for us. On one of my rides transporting my son back, things became very unsafe. It was a rainy Monday morning. Sean was getting frustrated that it was taking so long to get back due to bumper-to-bumper traffic on this heavily traveled highway. Somehow, he was able to undo his seatbelt and began punching me continuously on the side of my face. Dazed, confused, and bleeding, I was able to immediately pull over to the side of the highway. Sean was able to undo the child's safety lock. He then proceeded to get out of the car and began running down the highway ditch. I was able to track Sean down and tackle him to the ground. Once he was calm, we proceeded to get back into the car. I seat belted Sean in, put the child's safety lock back on, and duct taped his hands so he could not swing at me if he unbuckled his seat belt again. I also wanted to avoid getting into a serious car accident. We finally made it to the Cardinal Cushion Center and staff was able to take over. Can you imagine, for just a second, needing to duct tape your child's hands to keep you, him, and others safe? It was a horrible feeling of guilt and shame that I needed to do this. January 2014. Sean is now 13 years old. His overnight visits at home were still challenging due to negative behaviors. My wife and I decided that we would both drive Sean back on Sunday night to avoid any type of previous behaviors in the car. Something just didn't seem right with me. We saw no improvements of his behaviors at home. 
he had been at the Cardinal Cushion Center for about two years. In that time frame, we had not, nor the school department, received any incident reports. I began questioning Cardinal Cushion Center if they felt that they could still keep Sean safe. Their answer was yes. So, throughout 2014, things appear to be status quo. January 2015. Sean is now 14 years old. He is getting bigger and he is getting stronger. Once again, all seem to be status quo for several months. As you have probably just guessed, things are about to get ugly quickly. July 31st, 2015. We received a call of a serious incident that Sean was involved in. Incident report, 2.45 p.m. Assaulted staff, destruction of property, location, outside. Sean began kicking a staff member's car upon returning back to his villa from school. She reminded Sean that kicking the car was property destruction. He called her a bitch and began running towards her. How is he able to run towards a staff member? Where is the other staff? And why is Sean in charge of this situation? She put her hands up in a safety stance, <laughs> good luck with that, and began walking backwards as Sean was approaching her. Sean grabbed a hold of her left hand, squeezed it tight and wrung it. Staff intervened so she could get away. As she was doing so, Sean was still chasing her. She managed to get down the hill away from Sean. She was sent to a nearby walking clinic. Sean had broken her left ring finger. August 14th, 2015, 3.30 in the afternoon. Elopement off campus, walking in the middle of the road, assaulting staff, police support required. August 17th, 2015, just three days later, also at 3.30 p.m. Elopement of campus again, assaulting staff, and once again, police support required. September 2015, my wife and I met twice with the Cardinal Cushing Center team. Our biggest concern was, can you keep not just our son, but others safe when Sean escalates out of control? On both occasions, their answer was yes. October 15th, 2015, 3 p.m., outside parking lot, assaulting staff, destruction of property, throwing objects, police support required. During this particular incident, Sean was able to overpower staff while being restrained. Police support was needed to assist staff with restraint. Sean was then put on a stretcher in an ambulance and was hospitalized at South Shore Hospital. October 15, 2015, 9.15 p.m., South Shore Hospital parking lot. Assaulting staff, destruction of property, threatening staff, throwing objects. My wife and I went to the hospital to check on Sean. The staff member stated that since he appeared safe, he was being discharged that night. I questioned the staff member, who was also the house manager. 
Did she think it was safe to drive Sean back by herself in the van? She stated that she felt Sean was safe and no other staff would be needed. I did not have a good feeling about this due to the previous incident when police support was required. So we decided, my wife and I, to hang back a bit in our car. After several minutes, my wife's cell phone was ringing. She picked it up and all she could hear was staff screaming and Sean yelling. We were able to find the parking lot that they were located in. As we got there, we could see Sean punching staff in the face and pulling her hair. When Sean saw us, he began to calm down. She made a call to the Cardinal Cushing Center that she needed more support for transporting Sean back. Once staff came, we said our goodbyes, and Sean was taken back to the campus with multiple staff support in the van. October 18th, 2015, 10.35 a.m. Assaulting staff, eloping off campus, police support required. Somehow, Sean was able to make it to the busy intersection of Route 53. Staff followed him and finally caught up with him at a Mary Lou's parking lot. I still don't understand why hands were not placed on him to avoid this extreme dangerous incident. Police support was called as staff struggled to keep Sean safe. When police arrived, Sean became aggressive towards them, throwing his sneakers at them and making verbal threats. Police warned Sean that he would be tased. Police were able to get Sean under control using pepper spray. They cuffed him and stuffed him in the back of the police cruiser until the ambulance arrived to transport Sean to South Shore Hospital. The multiple hospitalizations, elopements, assaulting staff, property destructions, and the need for ongoing police support continued until July 1st of 2016. Sean was hospitalized. The Cardinal Cushing Center admitted that they could not keep Sean safe and improperly discharged him from their program. Due to the Cardinal Cushing Center discharging Sean without following the proper protocol, we were in an extremely difficult situation. As Sean remained hospitalized, he was pumped up on heavy medication. At times, due to the medication, he was barely able to speak when we would visit him. My wife and I really needed to get him out of the hospital. He was not receiving the proper treatment or education. This violated his human rights, and the school department was at fault for not providing Sean the education as described in his Individualized Education Plan, or IEP, which is a legal document. The first program that accepted him was the Grodin Center Wright Program. Hastily and with no other options, we agreed to allow Sean to be admitted into this program. As stated in the earlier episode, this program was unable to keep Sean safe, and again, he was once again hospitalized. January 19, 2017. Sean is accepted into the JRC Residential Program. JRC has been an amazing program for Sean. They have been able to take Sean off of all his medications, but most of all, keep him safe. Finally, our prayers were answered. There have been no more elopements, no more police involvement. Sean is now thriving as a young man. On September 24th, 2019, our other son, 
Shane Jr., who is studying in Boston to become an attorney, did an amazing job presenting Bill H. 132 in front of mass legislators at the Boston State House. His main point was that nothing has changed since this bill was denied back in 2016. Without this bill, thousands of other families will continue to go through the same challenges that we faced on a daily basis. The bill, in summary, states this. Section 1. Notwithstanding any other general or special law to the contrary, the public school department shall put 24-7 residential treatment placement and or out-of-school district placement in the individual's IEP once it has been determined by the professional mental health care facility that he or she is eligible to receive treatment at a 24-7 residential treatment facility and or out-of-school district placement. This IEP shall be held within 10 days once it has been determined by the professional mental health care facility that he or she is eligible to receive this needed treatment. The parents and or guardians will be involved in the selection of placement for their child, then will have the final authority as to which residential treatment placement and or out-of-school district placement their child will attend upon acceptance from the residential treatment placement and or out-of-school district placement. Once Bill H-132 is passed into law, the unsafe journey that our family has endured will hopefully not be experienced by other families. Shane Jr.'s presentation was spot on to the point that we were invited to meet with the Madam Health Secretary along with our state rep the next day, September 25th, at the Boston State House. She stated to us that she supported this bill and would have her department review it and make any changes so that this bill would become law. She stated that either she or someone from her department would be in touch with us shortly with the follow-up. After a few weeks went by, we still did not hear back from Madam Health Secretary or anyone from her department. Shane Jr., myself, and our state rep reached out to Madam Health Secretary and her department for a follow-up. We never received a response. Without the support from Madam Secretary, Bill H. 132 did not pass in 2020. It failed again. We were disappointed and taken back that neither Madam Health Secretary or her department did not deliver a stated. We the taxpayers that pay her salary deserve much better support and not just lip service. We want action and we want it now. Why would she have us take time out of our day to meet with her and not to do anything that she stated she was going to do in that meeting? Moving forward, we are in the process of having our state rep and his department, along with legal advocates, review the wording of Bill H. 132 with the expectation of submitting it in 2021 for it to pass and go into law. This podcast series is to bring awareness and to hold our state legislators accountable. You will be able to sign the petition supporting Bill H. 132 that will go directly to our elected officials who have the full ability to pass this bill into law. There will also be a link provided allowing you the ability to follow the journey of Bill H. 132. Together, as a unity of one, we have the power to make this happen. We really do. And that is what it is. This podcast series 
is dedicated to my beloved cousin, Scott Capolino, to whom I was able to seek his calm voice of reason during a very traumatic time in my life. May his soul rest in peace. May 5th, 1969 to June 9th, 2019. The details and accuracy of these events are to the best of our knowledge. Any discrepancy in terms of time and or dates are not intended to mislead the listener. These stories are true and officially documented.